Welcome to Streamed and Screened, a podcast about movies and TV shows. Uh, it was hosted by myself, Chris Lay, and Bruce Miller, a longtime entertainment reporter, now working as the editor at the Sioux City Journal. Hello, Bruce. How are you today? I'm doing all right. Had a nice long weekend. Uh, yeah, I think I lost part of it. I really do. <laughs> I don't think the weekend was there for me. So the laboring continued, but the resting did not. Yeah. You know, the interesting thing is, movies are a real go-to on that time mm -hmm. when you just, like you think oh we should go see something and i thought this weekend we really didn't have much they didn't do much of anything that was going to lean into that and i thought that was kind of bad but i looked back at the ones that i really kind of loved and so many of those movies have to deal with growing up in fact now when we hear everything talked about olivia wilde's new film don't worry darling yeah her big one was book smart mm -hmm. and that you know that had a real kind of vibe that I think I think they get it right a lot of times when they start doing adolescent films. I mean, I can find more examples of good ones than bad ones. If you look back at some of the things like Juno, Juno was an interesting experiment. Boyhood, do you remember Boyhood? Oh yeah, Richard Linkletter. My favorite, Bo Burnham with eighth grade. You know, you guys liked licorice pizza last year uh -huh. real coming of age situation almost famous is coming to broadway this year a musical version of that i mean there, there are a lot there and um what's interesting is that this week we're going to see brie larson debut a a series a, a limited series i guess you'd call it of documentaries that she and a bunch of other directors first time directors have done leaning into what young people are thinking about today, issues, things that kind of um, have been a problem. And you think, well, why would she do this? And it all goes back to when she was a kid. She was an actress at six. Six, can you believe that? What was she on at six? Was she one of the, uh, was she a Disney kid? No, she started out in the, uh, in the theater. She was part of a program uh, in San Francisco, ACT. American Conservatory Theater, the youngest person they had ever admitted into their clutches. And then at <laughs> seven, she and her mother and her sister decided they were moving to Los Angeles and they were going to, you know, see if they could get work. And she was in a lot of series, a lot of series as a kid star. And you usually think that they kind of burn out and we don't see them ever again. And, you know, look where she is today. She has an Oscar for Room. She starred in Captain Marvel, which gives her kind of a leg up in that Marvel universe. So she's got a lot going for her. And this was one of those things where she said, you know, I always was embarrassed by things in my life, in my childhood. And I didn't know how to deal with them. I had fears about growing up and I thought that people would think less of me. And so she decided that she would look at other people who had the same kind of experience where they felt lesser than. Yeah. And she decided that she would do a, a series with this. She talked to the people at Culture House and they've done a number of uh, similar projects. They did a thing about black hair with um, Tracy Ellis Ross. And then they thought this would be a great idea. So they're little half hour documentaries. And I, I use the term loosely because they do, they do have recreations in there. And they do have kind of a large group setting where she interviews the people who are in the documentaries. They all sit together at one point and talk about the situations that they've been through. 
And some of them are very, very moving. I mean, like, wow, I don't know that I would share these things on screen, but they do. And they do say that it, you know, it helps. It helps others. If they had had this, then maybe they would have not felt as embarrassed about their situation. You know, for example, um, one of the heroes, Gavin, his father died. His mother was no longer in the picture. And he had to figure out, how am I going to survive? You called him a hero. What is that a reference to? That's the term that they use because these are people who have overcome the situations that they were in. And they think that they're a hero for doing that. So Gavin didn't even know how he was going to get to school the first week after his father died. And a teacher gave him you know, a ride. And then it became somebody allowed him to use their car for a semester. And it just continued like that until he realized that there was no way he was going to be able to survive alone. He just couldn't. He said, I would have had to drop out of school, start all over by myself. And where would I go from there? You know, would I ever even finish high school? And so he believes that it takes a village to use a, a familiar phrase to, to raise you in these kinds of situations and to help you out. He graduated at the top of his class. His goal in life was always to go to New York. He wanted to live in New York. He went to school there, got a nursing degree, and was one of the frontline workers when COVID hit. I mean, it's a, a remarkable story, a remarkable story of what he was able to do. And there are others like that. I mean, and, and they, they aren't all as serious as that, but they are ones that you think, you know, I wonder what would happen with this. Now, Bree says this could go to other countries too. The concept of looking at young people and how their lives kind of spill out, what this would mean for them. And we got a chance to talk to her. We got a chance to talk to some of the, I called them earlier heroes, but subjects of these documentaries. And they have an odd mix of directors, honestly. Ones that have actors who've wanted to, add, to direct people who have maybe made small independent films, but never got a larger showcase. So it really is a kind of a helping project that helps a lot of people on another, a number of, of levels. And this is called Growing Up and it airs on Disney Plus. They'll have a, you know, a handful of ones to begin that. And then it spills out from there. Well, fantastic. Well, you have Brie Larson. She talks about her kind of way in. But also uh, Yara Shahidi, who stars on Grownish, she's in there talking with the subject that they really bonded. They found that they were closer than ever after doing this project together, and they never knew each other. Yeah. When does it start airing on? Well, Disney Plus is having a huge kind of, like I would say, launch week for a lot of the things they're doing. They're going to start on the 8th of September, and then it's going to launch out for a week. And you'll see a lot of new shows. You'll see a lot of movies. Pinocchio is coming, a live action Pinocchio with Tom Hanks as Geppetto. Joseph Gordon-Levitt is Jiminy Cricket. So it's it's a lot of they're throwing a lot of things at the wall to see what sticks. I think that's what you could best say defines this because it isn't all kid shows and they're not all family friendly movies. Well, excellent. So yeah, so we will throw to uh, the, the interview with Brie Larson and... Um... Dabra Shahidi, who directs one of the episodes. And then we also have Gavin, the one that uh, I told you about who had this kind of really tough life, really tough kind of, I, had, I don't know what I would do. Honestly, if I didn't have my parents when I was a kid, 
would I have gone to somebody else and said, hey, I need your help? I don't know that I would. And that's that's kind of interesting to see where he went and what he did. Well, yeah. So, um, yeah, listen in to the interviews and we'll be back uh, next week with some more interesting stuff. Bree, what were you like growing up? Uh, uncomfortable with myself. <laughs> <laughs> when you looked at all these these stories that you heard, did you find something in each one that you could relate to? Uh, more than one thing, yes. That's the beauty of this, is in the sharing, you realize that even though it's all so specific, it is somehow incredibly universal at the end of the day. What was it like, though, having somebody with a really huge profile, you know, talking to you about your lives? What was that like? Um, absolutely no disrespect to Brie. Um, but when she was in that space, she didn't feel like a Captain Marvel. You know, she didn't feel Thank like goodness <laughs> on um television that I saw growing up, you know, I felt like I was in the room with somebody who really wanted to listen. I mean, not somebody who was coming in, um, you know, wielding this opportunity for me to be represented, but somebody who was creating a space um, and ultimately a platform for all of us to be heard, but um, who shared a lot about herself. So when you ask what she was like growing up, even though, you know, I don't think we see it in the show during our roundtable um, conversations, we learned a lot about Brie. Um, and so I think that that empowered us with the connection necessary to share ourselves and our stories. Was that the same for you too? I mean, it was surreal for me to be grouped in with all of these incredibly accomplished people, not just Brie, but all of the heroes have done so many incredible things with their lives and just being associated with them is the highest honor. Absolutely. And just to echo Sage and Alex, yeah, I mean, being able to meet these incredible people was honestly the most honoring experiences I've ever had and so um and meeting Brie was just a very you know I just felt like it she created a space where I really felt like I could be you know authentic and tell an authentic story and you know really create a safe space and so for me that was incredibly impactful. Brie when you've been you know so used to being interviewed how is it to then be the interviewer? Well, I feel like I know what's a good question and what's not and what feels invasive and what does not. I hope. I mean, I've had enough experience with that. So in this case, it was just about facilitating. And I'm I'm a super feeler. Like I feel people's energy and and all of these young people, I think they do as well. And so there was just this sense in the room that we were all, it wasn't just, I was kind of off to the side. They were all at a certain point kind of doing their own thing and helping each other and cheering each other on. And I was just there to kind of hold space, to kind of hold the room um, and be there if anyone needed anything. But very quickly, no one needed me to do anything. They were like off. They knew exactly what to do and how to be in tune with one another. It seems so powerful, though, in those sessions where you're with everybody, where you have everybody there and then you just kind of throw something out. What was how did that feel for all of you? Was that as empowering as I thought it was? Yeah, definitely. I think that growing up, we are told for all of the reasons that you've heard in the show that we don't deserve to be heard, that we don't deserve space and that we don't deserve to be seen. Um, and so having somebody like Brie, um, and not just Brie, but the entire production um, team dedicated to telling our stories is something that's incredibly empowering, especially, you know, speaking from my experience as a mixed trans girl growing up, I was told that I wasn't to be seen, that I should be quiet, and that if I was ever going to be trans, that I should keep 
keep it a secret. And now we have, you know, million dollar cameras in front of us dedicated to making sure that we're seen and we're heard. So it was incredible. Brie, have you already started thinking about another season of this? I mean, I would love, there's, these stories are never ending, right? And the idea is that the representation just needs to keep growing. Um, The beauty is that it's all about the individual. And so we've barely scratched the surface on what it is, because even though we've told stories that deal with big issues, there's nuance to every single one of these things, plus so many things that we didn't even get to get into. So the beauty is, is like, you've watched this series and you've seen these courageous people who took the first step for all of us, for all of us that didn't have the courage to say something and hope Hopefully we can continue to grow this more seasons, but also what about other countries? We haven't, we've thought about growing up Brazil, growing up Japan, you know, why can't we continue this and keep the conversation going? Because um, this is a huge part of creating a better world is first learning to know that we can love ourselves and there's nothing unlovable about us. Is like Maya Angelou says, we're more alike than unalike. And I think it really resonates with this show. So thank you all for doing it. It's just, it's a real special thing. Thank you so much. Okay, how did you two bond? Was it very quickly? Was it, you know, did it take a while? What was that like for the two of you? I I mean, I hope I speak for both of us when I say, I think it was pretty instant because we, yeah. we were mutuals on social media before. Um, so it was sort of like a person hopping out of a computer screen type thing. And we had like multiple calls. And then I also think this goes back to the episode in and of itself that like, there's so many similar experiences that both of us have in growing up and that like even though we like have different um, niche like industries we've had to go through all of the same hoops to sort of exist and then also we're like so I think that it was pretty (laughs) yeah the the parallels were numerous um and connecting was really easy but also like I I think Brie Larson and the entire Culture House production team created a really safe space to be very vulnerable. I think for me as somebody that's only a second time director, and then for Sophia being one of a handful of people that are expected to share their life story, really did have to create a special space where you felt comfortable enough doing that. And I think because of it, it made the kind of bonding and process that much easier because everyone uh, was really intentional and thoughtful about making sure that people felt supported. (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, it created another level of ease. But Yara, how is she to direct? Because she kind of knows how to direct herself. (laughs) And so the idea that, you know, that you would tell her, now let's try this this way. How is that? Is that difficult? Oh, so difficult. No, I'm I'm kidding. I think because... Uh, we had such a naturally aligned story and we had all of these calls before there was this kind of agreement about what we wanted to communicate. You know, we weren't flying in blind. And I think it was important. The reason why this episode really spoke to me was because there was such natural alignment that there was no reason to micromanage. Um, And it was really about, you know, creating the right environments and doing that pre-work so that when we got there, it felt comfortable enough to just be able to be in the moment and be present. You know, even the conversation where we go back to Sophia talking to camera, sometimes you can hear my voice, sometimes you can't. But that was, I don't know, a two hour conversation between us that ebbed and flowed. And as much as we had certain things that we wanted to hit it was really about being present to figure out what would come from that. And every day we adjusted what we'd shoot the next day. So even though we had the natural shape of it, we really uh, allowed the story to speak for itself and realized it'd only be a disservice if we came in trying to tweak little things. Sophia, when you're in that big room with all the other heroes, how daunting is that? (laughs) 
It was not. It actually wasn't. I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't at all. So one of the great things is that like we had all done the same exact thing. And I was like maybe the fifth or sixth person to like tell a story because we would essentially like take turns telling the story over the span of a week. Um, And because we realized like Athena was the first person to tell our story. And immediately afterwards, we were like, oh, my God, like we went through all of the same things, like not necessarily like the, the very specific things, but the fact that like I also had issues with body dysmorphia growing up because we had grown up on social media, got Instagram for the first time when I was 11 years old. Um, So I think that it was a very, very welcoming and great experience solely because we were all, we're all sort of like age mates. We're like between the age of like, I think like 19 and 23 or something. Um, And that we've all gone through these similar experiences and we're like, oh, I went through that too. And like creating these inter like, interpersonal connections that I think are very meaningful. Is Grownish now your favorite show of all times? <laughs> it's gonna seem like I'm holding you hostage. No <laughs> I love Grownish. I love Grownish. Um I have many favorite sitcoms. I did I say yes? Is that like the correct answer? That's the correct answer, right? Isn't that the way it rolls? Grownish is my favorite TV show and Yarshahidi is my favorite actor slash director of all time. Uh, I'm saving this clip and using it for my resume. Right. Isn't it great? Well, you guys, thank you so much. And congratulations on, I think, a very moving, a moving uh, series that kids can learn a lot from. So thank you so much for doing it. Thank you. Thank you. Gavin, where in Nebraska are you from? Um, North Platte. North Platte. I'm from Sioux City, Iowa. So I'm just... We're close by. It's great. But, you know, your story is so compelling because I think it it epitomizes it takes a village to raise a child. Is that the kind of message you want to put across or you'd like people to get? Absolutely. I think from the beginning when we started, I was very uh, vocal about the fact that this wasn't a story about how great I am <laughs> and how I overcame so much by myself. It was really about for for young people to know that you it's going to take other people to help get you where you want to go and you cannot do it alone and also for adults watching that you can be that someone for that young person that young people in your community need your guidance and are not going to make it on their own so i definitely want people to get that message at that age were you worried did you think i'm going to get lost something's going to happen to me it's going to all go downhill or were you confident that somebody would be there for you? I think there were many times throughout my life where I thought I would not make it. <laughs> Whatever that might look like, I wasn't sure. But I, there were moments where I was like, I have no options. I, there's nothing I can do. I could think of several examples about like even getting to school. I didn't have a car and I didn't live near a bus stop. It wasn't like a city. I wasn't going to be able to get to school. And I had someone, a teacher, offer to drive me to school for that week. And then I had a family friend loan me their car to drive for a whole semester. So without that, I, I genuinely was thinking I'm going to have to drop out of high school because I was like, I can't, or I'm going to have to transfer. Or I don't know. But yeah, without them, I wouldn't have been able to do it. Nicole, when you're looking at choosing the people to be in this, how did you find them? How did you find the heroes? And what were you seeking? Were you trying to get a mix of different kinds of obstacles that kids face? Yeah, absolutely. I think that was where we started. We identified, we knew we were going to have a 10 episode season. And so we identified 10 kind of main themes and topics that uh, we felt were 
what growing up kind of entailed and lots of people had experienced. And then we started looking for people that had wanted to talk or had previously talked about those things. And so we ended up talking to hundreds of young people and we partnered with directors that were also interested in talking about that topic or that theme. And so whether it be financial insecurity or disability or body image, so Ashley directed the episode on disability and Smriti on body image and Kishori and I directed an episode on mental health uh, and depression in particular. And so we knew that we were going to do that. And so then we brought the directors in and we narrowed down the casting that we'd done. Uh, and so each director got to pick from a pool of about three to five people. Um, and so then each director ended up picking the the story that, that they wanted to tell. For the directors, how is that working with these people that have lived this life and you're trying to get it into a half hour and you're trying to make sure that everything that should resonate does? Um, I think it was a lot of prep a lot of great prep with the producers of really hearing out someone's life story and then taking those nuggets and, and figuring out what can we build into 30 minutes that's going to be compelling. You know, and I think with our episode, we were really focusing on like using your voice and finding your value as a disabled person um, and finding community, which is which is the most healing thing. And, and now, you know, Emily and I are, are are good friends. We we talk all the time, and it's you know that's part of building that self confidence and, and that feeling of belonging. Wow, it's well, it's a very powerful series. It's fun to see how these kids they're so well spoken. I can't believe that. And Gavin, I wish you all the best. I hope the world is yours. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. I'm curious for the heroes. How do you know that you can trust the directors, that they're going to tell your story in the way you want it to be told? Spicy. <laughs> Coming in hot. <laughs> I think for me, it was because Equa was always so transparent with me. She, from the moment that I was on set, even before set, through all the um, planning and stuff, Equa was always in communication with me. She ran everything through with me, asked me, are you okay with this? Do you want it to be told like this? Do you like this? How do you want your voice to be heard? And I appreciated that so much because she made a big point that this is my story. This is my voice. And she was clear that she wanted me to tell it how I wanted to tell it. So I knew from the jump that I could trust Equa. Amiri, what about you? Yeah. When I found out about my director, I went to Google and I was so impressed by the work that Elegance had done. Um, and when I finally met Elegance, I just knew that the story was going to come out with some type of beauty and the vision that we worked towards together that felt authentic to the story and authentic to me at the same time. And I think just being able to work with Elegance and see how his mind works um, and how creative he is and how he just brings parts of my past to life being able to have his creativity and also feel like I can trust him just made the process so smooth and made it so much better than I even could have imagined when I first found out that I was gonna be working on this project. What is it like doing those recreations, you know, where you're reliving your lives? Is that is that difficult? It's really interesting because I feel like rarely do we get the opportunity to go back and revisit something that's happened in our past, but we had, amazing set designers. Everything that was from the past looks so exact. And I think that that was something that really helped 
the realism of it, but it was really cool being able to step back into the past and experience it again. Yeah, I would have to agree with the Miri. It was definitely interesting because it was sort of like a mini time machine. And now as an adult, being able to like look back and feel what younger me felt at that time, but know that I've grown so much from that moment in time. So it was interesting and also very rewarding. For the directors, how do you draw this out of them? How do you get them to open up, especially about things that I think would be very difficult to talk about? For me, it's always a matter of like, you know, I view, I view everybody I work with on a film as a director of what they do. So the person who's on camera is the director of their story. And it's my job to facilitate, you know, the process of recollection to get that performance that is relatable, you know, that other people can see themselves in. So, you know, another thing I do, I'm vulnerable with my story. Like a lot of what Amiri's gone through, there's the jitters of one's first date as a queer man, the idea of coming out to one's parents, you know, and then as a black man, just dealing with, you know, racism in a society and, and realizing that you will deal with it for the rest of your life and that you have to do something about it, but you don't know what. All of that is something that I've gone through in my youth. So, you know, I, I believe that the folks who are on camera aren't the only ones reliving their story to a certain extent. And like, you know, these two brilliant young people just said, it's really empowering to go back to moments where you didn't know that you would make it through and to have the kind of setting of the film, right, of the show, to be able to have this like kind of controlled therapy where not only do you make it through it, but you get to teach others how to make it through it as well. Equa, Rudy, is it the same for you? Yeah, I mean, I think a big part of this was the atmosphere that was created for the show to be made from, you know, all the way across the board, producers, directors, camera, everybody there. Uh, you could tell was there for the for the right reason. And the reason was to amplify these stories and honor the stories of our heroes. You know, and I think uh, another part of connecting always with every project is, as uh, Elegance was saying, being open and honest and vulnerable yourself. You know, not going there and expecting somebody else to pour their heart out or say all these things just because you have a camera pointed at them. Like, right. this is a, a give and take. You know, we have to be willing to to uh, share our experiences and understand. And, and I think this is also a unique project because all the directors seem to have a really close um, idea of, of what, what the heroes and their stories have gone. You know, because we I, I see David, who's the, the hero in my story, as a, in a lot of ways a younger version of me. And, and you see this across the board. Everyone has similar experiences. So it's not like we're going there and saying, look, I'm coming from, the planet Mars, tell me what it's like growing up on Pluto. It's like, no, we grow up and we, we face very similar things. And I'm here to amplify and honor your story. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think that um, this absolutely the support of the, the entire cast and crew made a really big difference in being able to set the stage. And I felt like as a director, it was my job. I mean, they already had things in place, but being able to really sort of like, I think, you know, for this point or for, you know, this particular question or for this particular scene or reenactment, mm. it'd be great to dim the lights or, you know, whatever it is that, you know, we thought would be useful um, or to like really celebrate, you know, there was obviously moments of big celebration too. And, you know, I think for anyone who's done any kind of therapy or counseling, you have those moments where they're like, what would you tell your younger self? Um, and it's, I think it's such a unique situation that we're in in this show because our heroes do get to sort of tell their younger selves or sort of, you know, 
reenact their younger self and sort of how they would have done it differently with knowing the things that they know now. Um, and that's, that's a beautiful, that's a beautiful thing to be able to witness and support. Thank you all so much. I appreciate it. When you were growing up, did you have any kind of films that you thought really captured your life? I don't know about movies that captured my life. I definitely, I think, tried to to see aspects of my life in other things. And there, there's certainly bits of the, you know, suburban existence that I had. And I don't know, the for some reason, like, I mean, the first movie that jumped to mind for me is very embarrassing, maybe. It's the uh, Little Monsters, the Fred Savage and Howie Mandel movie with... <laughs> Howie Mandel plays the the monster who lives under the bed and right. ends up getting uh, Fred Savage to kind of turn turn bad slowly but surely. And I I just remember the family unit in that connecting a little bit with me. And yeah, that's that's one that it's the first one that I guess jumped into my head. I don't know if that's the best example of that. I went to the movies a lot. Uh, it would be if new movies were in town, I would go to everything. And it was a lot of, in my day, those beach party films. Well, I live in North Dakota. There's no way in hell I'm going to have a beach because we had no beaches. So there were things like that. I think it was more of an escape than actually um, a look of reality. And my reality, I have not seen anything that matches my reality until last year when Reservation Dogs came on. I lived on a reservation and that, to me, it captured my life. And yeah. so it's fun to see that kind of situation and how how that all affects people. You know, people talk a lot these days about the value of representation. And it really is empowering to be able to see yourself reflected in in popular culture. And I know, I mean, you and me being, you know, white men, <laughs> right. we, we, we see it everywhere. We, we don't have to worry about that. And I know uh, growing up definitely seems like it touches on that, where it's giving the viewers a, a window into some of these individuals, yeah. both in you know race, gender. Marginalized yes. individuals. And it's a good way to, um, to see their world and maybe understand them. You know, you know that old line about how walk a mile on a man's shoes or something, you would understand their life a little bit better. Well, that's what this is. This is a way to kind of experience their life without getting in too deep. Having listened to the interviews already, I'm really excited for uh, for the show and the interviews that you did uh, with the stars and the, the creators and producers and directors definitely lay out a pretty interesting map, I guess, of what the show is going to be like. And I'll tell you, don't worry about the names of who's speaking or who's what. I think that's one of the things you might get hung up on. Just listen to what they're saying, because for the most part, you don't know who these people are. And it's just a chance for you to hear them speak in their own voice about what this is all about. I mean, even the directors are fascinating in terms of what this did for them. And who knew that they were even going to get this gig? You know, yep. maybe we could be directors someday. Your lips to God's ears. <laughs> there we are. Yeah. Exciting. And then we'll have links in the show notes to all the places you can find the stuff. We'll have links to, to that and any other things that we mentioned. And um, yeah, so yeah. Um, 
take it away, Bruce. <laughs> I get it. Well, it's it's Jared's line, and Jared's not with us on a regular basis, but see something good or stream something good at the movie, right? Yep. I'm not sure if I have the right order. See something good, stream something good. Yep. And see, there's a reason for Jared to be with us. Screen something good, or screen something good. No, it's you don't know it either. Stream something good or screen something good. Yeah, we need Jared for that. We do. We'll have to have him uh, helicopter in for for this. When yes, when he gets off that uh, political kick. Absolutely. Thank you, Bruce, and uh, thanks to everyone who you, you talked with. And we'll be back next week with more stuff. So fantastic.